1: Hey, this is Duncan Brannon, author of The Soldier Code and former voice of Chuck E. Cheese and Barney the Dinosaur. You are listening to the I Know You Hear Me podcast with my good friend, Glenn Hendricks. are you needing some decals made, maybe some vinyl or monograms, then you need to go check out my wife's Etsy shop at Decals by Kins. That's K-Y-N-S. Go over to etsy.com shop decals by kins and you can check that in the show notes as well and see what she's done for other people and see what she can do for you. And I'm speaking from experience here. All of my water bottles, my protein bottles, they all have something that she's printed and put on there and those things last. So if you need something like that for a gift, for your family, for your kids, or even for yourself, go check out what she can do for you. And as a special treat for my listeners, if you use the promo code Flynn, that's F-L-Y-N-N, she's even going to get you 10% off your order. Now, you can't beat that. So go check it out and see what she can do for you. And I know you hear me. All right, guys, welcome back to another awesome episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast with yours truly, Flynn Hendricks. And it's been a busy busy time guys. I've been burning the candle at both ends. Started a new job which is still a transition, um, you know, getting used to something that is similar to what I did for the last 7 years but not what I did for the last 7 years. So there's still a little bit of that hesitation, missing the old job despite it not being the right place for me and just being in Being out of my comfort zone, which is good, but missing that because it's what I've been so used to for seven years. But obviously, you're not going to grow if you're in that toxic environment and you're just staying comfy in your comfort zone. So I'm just dealing with the transitions, coming out of a bit of a rough patch, and we're going to come out on the other side of it. So that's just a matter of staying positive, and I've got to remind myself of that. But guys, I'm still here. I'm still making it happen. And I've got another awesome interview for you here today. But before we get into that, I'm going to do a few quick housekeeping notes, and then we're going to jump right into the interview. Make sure you're getting those shirts, guys. I've got them in, and as you're hearing this, um, there's probably going to be a lot more shirt options by that point. So make sure you're getting those out there. I've had a lot of people getting them. Basically, they've been flying out of my hands since they came in the mail. So thank you to everyone that supported. I've been giving you shout-outs on social media. I want to give you shout-outs on here, like Katrina, Vonnie. Steven, the guy that makes my banners for conventions, man, you guys rock. Thank you so much for showing your support. I really appreciate it. And, man, if you want to do that too, guys, like I said, 10% of every purchase is going to go to the Nashville Humane Society. So if you've got a soft spot for some fur babies, feel free to get a cool shirt Feels good because I'm a shirt snob. I don't like those stiff fabric shirts. I got the soft fabric. I got the good stuff. So it's something that you're going to enjoy, and it's got some really cool kick-ass designs on it. And even some of the former guests on this show, like Katrina, have designed some of these shirts, and those are the ones that are selling the quickest. So support her artwork, support this show, and just have some fun. And, guys, make sure you're getting connected on social media. I'm on all platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Get those likes up. Get those numbers up. So let's just keep it going. Get the word out there about this show. Get the word out there about me. That way, if there's a wrestling event in your town or if there's a convention in your town, I can come out to it. We can meet in person. Who knows? We might even do a live podcast, and I'm all about that. And on top of that, too, guys, if you haven't already or if this is your first episode, go subscribe, go share, go hit that five star review button and even leave a written review if you think I've earned it. But let's get those numbers up. It really helps the algorithm and it helps this show more than you know. The audience is growing worldwide, so let's make it happen. Let's just keep this trend going and we're getting further and further into this. I can't believe this show is still going this long. It's just I guess that's me being ever so humble, but. It is what it is, guys. I'm just grateful that this is still going and that you guys are still tuning in. And make sure you're hitting up our sponsors, and if you're needing some coaching, like how to start a podcast, how to start acting, how to start professional wrestling, or hell, if you're a professional wrestler that needs help with character development, I'm your guy. Check the show notes, because I've got information about that too. Very reasonable price, very reasonable service, and I will make sure you've got somebody in your corner that's going to steer you the right way. Well, guys... That's it for me in these rambling house notes. We're going to take a quick pause for a word from our advertisers, and we'll be right back on the other side. Hi, I'm Will Harridge and I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know, but I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back.
0: Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with, and really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself.
1: Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine.
0: What he said.
1: All right, guys, we are back here on the show, and I am excited to talk to our guest today. He is not only a man that has a background in veterinary science and medical health, but this guy has also written some published short stories. And he also has a thriller that is out now as well that's going to be the main focus of our topic and discussion today. And he's also got an upcoming book that's going to come out in early 2023 that we're going to get into. But this guy is the author of the book Project Suicide, which is now available on Amazon. I'll have the links in the show notes to that. And we're also going to be discussing his new book today as well. It is my pleasure to have on the show John Bukowski. John, thank you so much for being here.
0: Well, thank you for having me, Flynn.
1: It's a pleasure. Of course, I've been looking forward to this since uh, Steve got us connected. It's going to be a fun time, I know. Yeah, sure. All Absolutely. right. So let's let's jump right into it, man. Because, like I mentioned, um, you know, like your your background, as we were talking before we started recording here, is um, is very diverse. And you know, like you had a veterinary degree from Michigan State and a doctorate in epidemiology from you know the University of Medicine and Dentistry in New Jersey. What led you to transition out of that into uh, into writing a thrill, uh, you know, a fiction thriller? How did that happen?
0: Well, the uh, it's it's kind of a long story, but I'll make it short.
1: I'll take uh, your time.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was pretty well focused on the science courses and stuff, because I wanted to be a veterinarian and you got to really hit the science. Now I, I loved my English classes and they were a nice diversion.
1: That's my uh, topic right there.
0: Yeah. But uh, uh, so I got my veterinary degree and practiced in Southeast Michigan. Uh, so I'm from Detroit and uh, it was good. But around the time I think of my 500 youth in Asia Uh, You've got to do a lot of those I thought maybe I want to do something That doesn't require as many life and death decisions
1: Understandable Uh, I've I've dealt um, with that three times this year
0: You know, I was science background Mm -hmm. I thought, well, research Find out why diseases happen Yeah That's why I went and got a master's And a PhD in epidemiology uh, Basically disease detective work As most of you probably know now From uh, COVID Yep We're not bug doctors, we're not uh, skin doctors, we're disease detectives. And uh, so I was doing that in government and industry and that involved a lot of technical writing. Uh, And one thing I noticed over my 20 years or so doing that was I was doing less and less research and more and more writing. And one of the reasons for that was my employers recognized that I could write well and clearly Uh, if they'd have an uh, an article or a white paper or something they wanted done that was important, they'd come to me. All Uh, right. And the other thing was I was enjoying it.
1: Yeah. Can't beat that.
0: I was working for a big oil company at the time in their biomedical sciences group in the early 2000s. And I was getting a little fed up with corporate life.
1: Understandable.
0: Yeah, you probably can. uh, So I thought I'd transition over to – be an independent medical writer write things like journal articles and website content and uh, I even wrote some radio scripts uh, so I started doing that it was doing quite well when the great uh, recession hit oh and around 2008 oh yeah. yeah a lot of our uh, our business dried up mm-hmm. and so I thought you know, maybe this is the blessing in disguise. My wife was still working. She had income coming in. And at almost all people who are writers, I wanted to write the great American novel. Right. Or in my case, the great American thriller novel. I always loved to read, avid reader my entire life, loved thriller novels. So I, I buckled down and said, I'm going to give it a try. And over about a six, eight month period, I actually wrote one. All and right. it's still gathering dust on my computer, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, what Stephen King would call a trunk novel. Probably never see the light of day, but it got me hooked.
1: Absolutely, it me. yeah. It Excellent served its purpose.
0: Yeah, and it got, me, it got me hooked. So even as business picked up in the medical writing, I kept doing short stories. I started a couple other novels. And around six years ago or so, I uh, said, I'm going to transition completely into novel writing and fiction writing, and uh, so that's what I did, and that's uh, the path. I'll tell you, it's uh, it's not as profitable, but it's a lot more fun.
1: Absolutely, and that's, that's one of the things I want to break down here, because you'd mentioned momentarily ago, or previously, that you jumped from the corporate world to being an independent, and then you just mentioned transitioning from that into, you know, being a full-time novelist. What is your mindset when you're making these gigantic changes that are different from what you're expecting in your everyday life and what you're used to, to, to getting out of the norm, getting out of that comfort zone. What is your mindset on all that?
0: Yeah, well, it's, uh, you're right. You are getting out of your comfort zone a little bit. I've done that a lot, uh, both going from veterinary medicine to science. Uh, and we moved around a lot. You know, I've lived in Canada, lived in New Jersey, lived in Southern Ohio, Michigan. Uh, so, kind of comfortable with change or at least get used to it.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Um, but you're right. It is a, it is a big transition and it's a little scary, but uh, you know, we had, my wife and I have had uh good careers, so we had some financial backing for it. Uh, you know, investments and things like that. Oh yeah. So I could, I could take a flyer at uh, doing something that I always wanted to do and that I was really enjoying doing.
1: Absolutely.
0: Um, because, Really, when you th- when you think about fiction writing, you have to treat it like both a business and a hobby. You have to have the discipline to, like a business, work on it every day, mm-hmm. or almost every day. But you also have to, with all the rejection in this business and stuff, you have to do it because you love to do it. Right. So you're not making a million dollars, and uh, uh, you got to do it because you, you, you like doing it.
1: I can relate and, to that for sure. Yeah. So... I get yeah. it. And that that kind of brings up another interesting point here, too, because you, you mentioned that, you know, writing the short stories or writing the trunk novel that's just gathering dust on your computer got you hooked. What was the starting process like for these stories? Like, was there, you know, like, uh, I guess, like, a am picturing, like, um, you know, just a big wall with post-it notes of ideas and right. figuring out what would stick, or was there writer's block? How did you uh, get the foundation going for that?
0: Well, with most with most writers, I mean, I keep an idea log on my cell phone and on my computer. If I come up with an idea, uh, I'll jot it down there. And, you know, sometimes it'll be a short story. Sometimes it'll be a novel. Right. Um, The uh, but for most writers and Stephen King says he's always asked what's his biggest question is, where do you get your ideas from? And with most writers, it's what if what if is very big with writers because it's an idea generator Mm -hmm. what if uh a giant shark was terrorizing a resort community and the chief of police was afraid of the water right you got jaws what if you could actually get dinosaur dna out of a fossil and make your own dinosaur you've got your ass yes sir so uh for, for Project Suicide, for example, the "what if" idea came when I was visiting my father-in-law. Like he passed away a few years ago.
1: I'm sorry, I was to hear that.
0: Close to him, and uh, he was in a memory care unit of a uh, of a uh, assisted living facility. Uh, he wasn't. He, he had a dementia problem. It wasn't as bad as like Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, you know, he was a brilliant engineer for Ford, and now he couldn't tell time. So it was sad to see that. And I started thinking, well, I know they're looking for a cure. They're always looking for a cure. Well, what if they found one, but it had this pretty bad side effect? What if when it blocked the gene for Alzheimer's disease, which is a genetic disease, it also blocked an adjacent gene for self-preservation? So that as your sense of self came back, your cognition, your 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 sense of yourself, and your ag- interaction with people around you. So, would a sense of self-loathing and thoughts of suicide. Oh man! And then the big what if is: what if you gave this to someone, this drug, who didn't have a Alzheimer's disease? Well, it would be the perfect assassination drug because they would kill themselves.
1: Gosh, that's I mean, that's so, so that's, that's fascinating.
0: That, uh, Project suicide came from it's basically the story of how a cure for alzheimer's disease was perverted into an assassination drug now high-profile politicians are killing themselves and only a drunken genius can save the country wow
1: i love it i love it and when you're when you're writing something like this too taking your you know your scientific background do you have to like f- find a way to Take something that may be easy for you to understand, but maybe too technical for the average reader to understand and find a way, I guess, to, uh, I hate using the phrase, dumb it down, but, you know, dumb it down for the people that sure. aren't sure. in that background.
0: Well, I think, I, th- I think, you notice that, and this is a techno thriller and uh, like Michael Crichton or Robin Cook.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: you'll notice both those guys were physicians. So it helps if you have a, some background in it. Absolutely, and I also from my medical writing, writing for consumer publications, writing radio scripts, things like that. I got pretty adept at taking complicated material and synthesizing it down, distilling it down to something that average Joe Dokes can understand.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Not
0: yeah. dumb it down, but make it where it's it's uh, basically the essence of it is there without a lot of the jargon and things like that.
1: I gotcha. I dig and, it.
0: And the other really uh way to do it the other uh thing to do is you can't have too much of the technical material there is a danger that people will you always do more research than you put in the book right and there's a danger that you'll try to put everything you find out because it's all interesting to you into the book and that makes it a technical manual not fiction right something for entertainment uh i remember somebody asked michael Crichton after jurassic park Uh, did you spend weeks in a genetic research lab before writing this, researching it? And he said, no, why would I do that? Genetic research lab can't make a dinosaur either. You know, you, Mm -hmm. you can't forget that basically you're writing fiction. You're making stuff up. You're telling a lie. And like a good con man You want there to be some facts in that. You want there to be enough to make the person say, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then you can believe the
1: rest of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, uh, you mentioned something too, like you do more research than what you're going to put in the book. What is your process for filtering out what is too much or what's not enough or what's just right on that?
0: Well, it's, I think that the key is don't forget that the technical material is not really what the book's about. Right. Um, the technical material, in my case, has got some political stuff. There's no real politics in it, but politicians are dying. Both those things are kind of what um, Alfred Hitchcock would refer to as the MacGuffin. They keep the story going. They're the, uh, they're the driving force behind it, but they're not the story. The story is about characters involved in life and death, uh, hair-raising experiences, trying to, being pushed on by the MacGuffin, being pushed on by the technical uh, uh, and political aspects. Mm-hmm. But that's not the story. The story is their their struggle and uh, how they get the bad guy and uh, and, 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 and stop the problem.
1: Wow, That's so fascinating because my mind automatically when I when I read the summary for it, like I I figured there would be like political overtones or undertones to it because I haven't had a chance to read the book just yet. But that's that's where my mind went automatically. But I love that you're using them more as, you know, devices yeah, yeah. to move that story I don't along. Think
0: anybody could discern my politics out of it. And I don't think there's any real politics in it or at least very right little. Uh, and that's important, you know. Why would you turn off some of your readers?
1: Exactly.
0: Uh, uh, when that's not what the book's about, anyway.
1: Right, and they're there to escape reality for for a little while, get lost in the pages, right. and just enjoy right. the story.
0: It's, it's supposed to be fun. Yep. It's supposed to be. Ooh, I want to see what happens next.
1: Absolutely. You want to keep them hanging on the edge of their seat. Read that right. next page and right. keep them coming back. And that's that's something that I want to focus on too, because um, I'm guilty of. Getting burned out and you know, ignoring the, the warning signs, ignoring all of that and just being so gung-ho on what I'm doing, when you're writing a book like this or you're writing the short stories or the medical scripts, how do you manage your time so that you can avoid being burned out and you know, just being tired of something that you enjoy doing?
0: Right. The, uh, most writers, and I don't think I'm saying anything new here or anything controversial, are either morning or afternoon, evening writers. Right. I'm a morning writer. Okay. And what you try to do is set yourself a limit. A word count, say it's 500 words or 1,000 words. Stephen King does 2,000 words a day, which is, which is crazy. But your word count or your time period is usually about two to three hours.
1: Right. That's I've heard so, that before.
0: Yeah. And you, it's really difficult to be creative uh, for longer than that You either go you either go blank inside Or you start writing crap Which right. you have to edit out anyway So I think that's on average A, a daily word count Of like 500 or 1000 words Is pretty typical for a lot of novelists Hemingway used to say It was a good week if he did 4000 words You know, so that's a, on five days say, mm-hmm. uh, So that's 800 a day Yeah,
1: and, right there in uh, the middle
0: and uh, you'll hear me talk a lot about Hemingway, Elmore Leonard, and Stephen King, because those are my biggest influences.
1: Hey, I dig it. I like it.
0: Uh, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, that, so, that, so that's one of the things. And it's it's a constant process. When you finish with a novel, you know, the first draft, you don't immediately start revising it. Right. Or, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a process where you set it aside for a while, And try to divorce yourself from it, do other things, work on a short story, Uh, do another, start working on another novel, something, and give it time For give yourself some fresh eyes. So when you go back to it, you're now seeing it kind of
1: new. Absolutely.
0: And, uh, you know, you go through the revision process, maybe you'll send it off to a beta reader to read it and say, what do you think, understand it. You know, is it is there? Are there plot holes, things like that, or one or two readers that you trust? Writers typically, and so it's a process that goes on, and you're constantly coming back to it over months, mm-hmm. revising even before it goes to a professional editor to, you know, get a really good uh, view of it.
1: Absolutely, and, you
0: know, editors are really important. A lot of a lot of off, beginning authors don't realize the importance of it professional editor who can see it the way the reader sees it, but with the professional eye that says, okay, this needs to be changed. This cuts into the flow. This is nicely written, but it it's confusing. You know, something like that.
1: Gotcha. And then in a situation like that too, how, like, there, there's two things I want to focus on here. When you do have an editor that says, you know, you may need to change this or you may need to change this, there there have been stories of artists that are just so connected to the work they did that they don't want to change it. How do you avoid being so connected to something that you're not willing to change it? If an editor makes that suggestion, how do you avoid getting that attached to it?
0: Well, there's an old saying is you, you have to learn over time to kill your darlings. Uh, there are things sometimes that you write that, and they may be very well written. They may have very good turns of phrase, very descriptive, and you just fall in love with them. Um, and an editor comes up and says, well, that's all great, but it disrupts the flow or it it, it, it takes away from the plot or is out of character for this person, whatever. And so, yeah, you have a little pushback oftentimes. You go, "You know, what are you telling me? It's That's great. Uh, but you, you try to sit back and then it gets why it's good to have a professional editor, someone you can trust. Right. And you, you have time to reflect on it and you may come to a conclusion that, you know what, you're right. What we can keep some of it. Or you may say, if it's a small thing, no, it makes a point that I want to make and I'm going to leave it in there. Um, but yeah, there's always a, uh, you you're, you're, you're your interaction with your editor is a little bit like interaction with a physical therapist. If you don't hate them a little bit, they're not doing their job.
1: Right, absolutely. And that how man, I hadn't even thought about that. But, I mean, you're exactly right, especially, I can relate to that because I had physical therapy on my arm two yeah. years ago and it, it was a process, you know, doing things that were uncomfortable. And, and, and but
0: and writers have big egos because, you know, this is not like, uh, uh, this is you. Yeah. I mean, this is... This is your talent or your skill being on display. Mm-hmm. And criticism, a lot of people take it as criticism of you.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's kind of something that you mentioned earlier and I kind of picked up on that you've developed the thick skin for that because a lot of people are very sensitive to that in the creative world. And, you know, especially with the creative types being like our own worst critics even – how do you approach like going back to your works with a set of fresh eyes and not being overly critical of what you've done, or you know, just going in with a pessimistic mindset? Because that's something I'm guilty of, and I love hearing how other people approach things like this.
0: Well, I I I think you have to tell yourself that uh, you know you you thought it was good when you wrote it, right? Maybe it needs to be improved. But, you know, if if you basically trust your ability or trust your talent and uh, uh, like I said, not that it can't be improved. Oftentimes uh, you find as you go back in that there's areas that need to be expanded or more often there's areas need to be cut or trimmed down. uh, As Elmore Leonard says, you know, remove all unnecessary words. Uh, Also, Strunk and White, I think, says that uh you know kind of the bible of uh of of grammar Mm -hmm. and uh stephen king always says that his second draft is first draft minus ten percent
1: interesting okay So you're
0: always you're you're usually you're usually cutting away the fat right leaving more lean Um, but yeah there's a tendency where you might say uh, especially after you've read it a bunch of times, there's there's two possibilities. You can say, "Wow, I'm really great," and then you miss things that other people may not see as great. Yeah. Or you may say, "Oh God, I suck," you know. And you got to tell yourself neither is true. And uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, your editor and publisher can tell you whether they think it's good. And uh, ultimately, the reader decides.
1: That's the truth of it. If those if the book sales show it, then you're doing something right. Right Man, this is this has been fascinating kind of picking your brain about like what goes into this process because it's something that's always fascinated me. But now I'm kind of excited because we we were talking about it before we started rolling again. And I mentioned it in your introduction. You've got another thriller coming out, you know, in early 2023 that may coincide with when this episode drops, hopefully. And it's called Checkout Time. Tell me a little bit about that and what inspired you to write this one.
0: Yeah, Checkout Time is a little different. It's about a uh, arsonist or actually a bomber. Oh, is trying to extort money from hotel chains. And he does this by threatening to bomb their hotels but oh, they love to give him money. And uh, I came up with the idea for it when I was in a, a, a motel room and uh, it was on the top floor. I think it was four floors in the hotel. And I looked up at the ceiling and there was a little trap door. It had like a little, you know, those little, little key things, just put something in there and turn it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, you could put anything in there. And I said, well, this is not like an airport or someplace where they, they wind you down before you come in. You could put a bomb in
1: there. Yeah.
0: You could bring a a, a tactical nuclear warhead in, and no one, would, no one would know. And that got me thinking about, okay, hotels are very vulnerable. Somebody wanted to uh, make some money. Why couldn't they try to uh, extort hotels?
1: Yeah. Very, very true. I mean, that's kind of something too. Like, you know, it may be playing on a personal fear, but I mean, again, there's a lot more investment into it, and it's another one of those "what if" scenarios because yeah. God, God forbid, it does happen. But other, other crazy, scary things have happened in hotels. Oh, yeah.
0: So, and, and people are always saying they, you know, if you think about it, the number of people that have been through that room before you, mm-hmm. and uh, that can be a little frightening. Just, just that.
1: Sometimes. Oh yeah. Whew, man, that's uh, that, and that's another thing too. You really don't think about or You try to put in the back of your mind, but yeah, God, God knows what goes on before you. That's that's the truth of it. But man, that's, that is... a, that's
0: one thing that writers do is they take this stuff from the back of the mind or that hidden in the mind and they bring it forward.
1: Absolutely. Well, man, or this Stephen,
0: what Stephen King talks about the dark half. Yeah, that dark half of your personality that maybe is more uh, duplicitous maybe, uh, a little lecherous, what have you, uh, as a fiction writer, you can and have to bring that out to a certain extent yep. to freak out your villains or whatever.
1: Absolutely. And kind of, kind of same in the acting realm as well. You,
0: absolutely. you get to play some, with
1: that a little bit. I've, so. I've
0: done some stage acting. You're absolutely right. Oh yeah. man.
1: I see. I'm, I'm learning new things right here because I did not find that in my research. So you, that's, that's another and thing, thing we have in on my common. Website, there.
0: You'll see some photos that are taken from, uh, uh, Dan, Yankees, and uh, uh, Harvey, and uh, a few different things like that.
1: Oh, I'm looking at it right now. Yes, sir, you are correct. Man, all right. So you, it's funny you should say that, as I've got in the next couple weeks, I've got some stage performances coming up here. So it's gonna be, it's going I'm gonna count this as a nice little warm up chat to another fellow theater person here. So this is learning new things every day.
0: Yeah, and, and you mentioned about, you know, it's like acting, and it is because people have said to me, now your characters, is there any of you in that? People you know? And the answer is yes. For all authors, you uh, you base things on your experience, mm-hmm. uh, your feelings, uh, composite characters that you've known. You know, you take several different people and you make them into a into a character in the book. And it's kind of like being an actor. It all funnels through you. And, you know, the, the method, as they call it, method acting, mm-hmm. is you take your experiences and you funnel them through you into the character. Absolutely. The and uh, so it's very much like that. You're correct.
1: Yep. You bring that authentic self to what you're putting out there. And right. if you believe in it, it's easier for the people that are your audience to believe in that too, because they'll pick right. up on if you're not committed to it. Correct. Man, fascinating stuff. And I, I've just enjoyed diving into your mind to like, understand your process for not only writing these stories but you know just how your process works how you have your set time like in the morning you're an early morning person and just the different blocks of the day that authors will utilize to make sure that the work gets done it's been a fascinating learning experience for me so i appreciate that
0: oh my pleasure
1: all right and now i think um i feel like i've i've talked a little bit of enough for the night so i'm gonna let you uh host the show for a little bit if you're all right with that and question me some
0: Okay, well, being an author, one of the things I always want to do is find out what do you like to read. Uh, I I have uh, relatives who read technical manuals Mm -hmm. for entertainment. Uh, other people like romance novels what do you what what do you like what kind of reading do you like
1: oh man so let's see in the in the voiceover world i tend to get a lot of uh technical manual scripts for auditions so i, I read them but i can't necessarily say that i enjoy them right. but i'm i'm more of a, a science fiction type person um okay. was a big fan of the dan brown like angels and demons uh the uh-huh. da vinci code i love that series i've got a huge stack of Star Wars books I still have to get through and I'm a very big like especially having a background in wrestling reading like the biographies of these people and learning more about them that may not be out there as much and just seeing that you know like on their, on their way up the independent level as like where I'm at now, they went through a lot of similar situations and it really humanizes these larger-than-life people that you see on TV. And it, I just, I get lost reading those autobiographies. So it's, I'd say science fiction and autobiographies more than anything else.
0: Well, that's, you know, I, you're right about biographies and autobiographies. I think it's fascinating, too, the, the history of these individuals and uh, how they came to be the people we knew or know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as far as science fiction goes yeah I've, 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 I've loved I grew up with science fiction uh, Destination Moon and things like that Jules Verne H.D. Yeah. Wells uh,
1: oh, man. went
0: through lots of stages Project Suicide is a little bit science fiction in that you know it's uh, it's uh, a, a, a drug kind of thing a, uh adverse reaction or you want to call it a side effect from a drug uh, that's kind of science fiction absolutely okay so now i know that from doing these podcasts and stuff and also from your stage uh career what's the biggest celebrity who's the biggest celebrity you either had on a podcast or you've worked with professionally um
1: man um
0: it- or maybe your favorite if not biggest but
1: I, I would say maybe on this show, possibly celebrity wise, it would probably have to be um Bob Bergen, who would be more famously known as the voice of Porky Pig. Oh okay. And then um, that's as far as like interviewing on the podcast. Now, as far as like on stage, wrestling, whatever it may be, I was um, as we're recording this now, it's been about two months since it happened. But I was actually on pay per view uh, when WWE was here in town in Nashville. So I was a part of a segment on their pay per view where I was front and center with one of their top stars named uh, named Seth Rollins. I was portraying a security guard. They took the local talent to do that. But I would uh-huh. definitely say that you know doing that was probably my biggest brush of fame right there.
0: Okay. Um, so, staying with your acting. What's what's your biggest acting gig or role that you've ever landed? I was uh Don Quixote and Man of La Mancha, and that's like a monster uh role and uh uh Cinderella Prince and the Wolf and in Into the Woods. That was another big role or a couple of big roles. What was, what was your biggest one or your favorite? What's your favorite acting?
1: Oh gig? man, I think the My favorite acting gig, Um, right now would probably, I've booked more voiceover-wise than I have on screen, Um, just because when I started with voiceover, we were knee-deep in COVID, and you know, screen uh, theater stuff was all down, but Uh. as far as on screen, um, I was actually part of an independent film that hasn't been released yet, Um, and I played a character that was kind of, not, not to be racial or anything like that, but it was the the quote-unquote token white guy at a, you know, a party full of black people, but there were a lot of scenes that focused on me, and they knew that I had an improv background, so they said, we don't really have a lot of baselines for you, we just want you to react to what you see and have fun with it, and, like, by the end of the night, like, there were several retakes where people were having to, you know, like, Redo the scene because they were laughing so hard at something I did, or just having fun playing along with That's it. Great. And it was it was an absolute blast. I'm just I'm waiting to see the final product of it now.
0: What's What's the name of
1: the movie? Uh, it's called We Couldn't Make This Up. Okay. And it was actually, it was made by a local comedian. Uh, His name is Will Brown. And he's actually somebody that I'm hoping to have on the show here, you know, sometime in the near future. And he's supposed to be filming an Amazon comedy special at some point too. So he's got a lot of big things going, but just having mutual connections, we got connected. He asked me to play this part um, and it went from there.
0: And sticking with the podcast uh, idea, how, how do you go about finding guests for
1: podcasts? Uh, the biggest thing I would say, it started out originally being fortunate enough to have dipped my toes in so many different genres and walks of life that I've met just this eclectic group of people, whether it's you know independent wrestlers or voice actors or people that are up and coming, and I kind of started off with that. And when it started getting bigger from there, I had people start reaching out for it because, you know, like they'd heard it through word of mouth. They'd seen it, uh, you know, I guess growing on the charts for the different like platforms it was on. And then, you know, somebody like our mutual connection, you know, Steve reached out and said, hey, if I've got somebody that I would like to, you know, help promote on your podcast, would you be willing to interview them? So, my answer is yes, absolutely, because everybody's got a story to tell and it's always going to be a chance for me to not only make a new friend but have a new learning experience in the middle of it too and give them a platform to get their story out there.
0: Very good. And uh, finally, how you like living in Nashville?
1: Man, I, so I'm born and raised here and this is, you know, apparently it's a rarity these days, but it has changed so much since I grew up here. That oh man, I just I wish it would slow down a little bit, but I know you know that's what comes with time. But man, I just I would not complain if it slowed down a little bit, but I couldn't picture myself really living anywhere else.
0: Yeah, I'm in Eastern Tennessee, over by Knoxville, Yep, up in Smokies, and uh, Nashville is one place I want to go to. It's only a couple hundred miles away, so yep. I'm looking into book clubs and things like that that I might be able to come and oh yeah, both the books and uh, see if I can't get... Uh, so if you're hearing anything in Nashville, let me
1: know. Will do. Yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch on that. I'll, the only thing I'll say is, don't be afraid to plan for some construction delays. That's that's about my biggest word of advice right there.
0: Right, okay.
1: There's always something. But Man, oh, that's... Man, this has been a fascinating five questions again, because, again, like we talked about before... My only rule with these is I don't know what they are ahead of time. Right. And again, every guest has brought something different to the table and it's always been a fun experience for me. So thank you for, you know, taking the chance to do that and asking me some questions. It's always a fun experience for me to be put on the spot like that.
0: Oh, no no problem. And one thing I wanted to say before we sign off yes, sir. is uh I hope I hope people buy the book, Project Suicide www.projectsuicidenovel.com takes you right to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very reasonable on Kindle. Um, fairly reasonable in paperback. Um, I hope they buy it and enjoy it. And I really, really hope they leave a review on Amazon.
1: Absolutely. And we'll,
0: that people don't realize how important that is.
1: Oh, yeah. Them. They it's hear me. not
0: only do people judge whether they're going to buy the book based on those reviews, but... Amazon judges where they're going to place you. Yep, in their in their promotional stuff based on those the number of those reviews and the quality of. Them. So now, so, uh, just throw that out to anybody who hopefully reads the book, and uh...
1: absolutely. And I'm going to make it easy for everybody like I always do. The links will be in the show notes. You can check it out, get a copy, get it on Kindle. Whatever works for you as long as you're getting this book. And then like you hear me say every week for this show, leave a review because those reviews help out more than you know. But I, I guarantee you that you're going to enjoy this book because I'm going to get it myself and I'm ready to dive right into it. So I'm looking forward to it.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Hope you
1: like it. Yes, sir, John, and I appreciate you taking the time to be here tonight and share a little bit about it with the audience here. So this has been a fun experience.
0: Me too. My pleasure. Nice I'll... meeting you.
1: Yes, sir. Same to you as well. And hopefully next time my camera will want to cooperate a little bit better so we can have a face-to-face.
0: Right. I hope you'll have me back when checkout time comes out. Oh,
1: absolutely. We'll keep in touch on that. And when it does, I'll make sure I promote links to that, and we'll make it easy for everybody to get another good book in their hands.
0: Very good. appreciate
1: it. All right. Well, John, thank you so much for being here. And, guys, thank you for tuning in again this week. You know we'll be back next week with another awesome episode with another awesome guest. So, in the meantime, get those shirts, check the show notes, check out our sponsors. You need some coaching? Get my email. It's down there. You know what to do. And then be back here next week for another awesome episode. And I know you hear me. I Know You Hear Me podcast is a presentation of Flynn Hendricks Enterprises. We thank you for tuning in this week and we hope you'll check out our sponsors and advertisers. Make sure you check us out next week as we come back at the same time with another awesome episode.